Hello and welcome to series three of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear stories and experiences of incredible women from diverse backgrounds and perspectives in science and technology. Our conversations give us insights into some fascinating innovations, but we also get to relate. Here on Innovation, I give women a platform to be heard and seen because this exact conversation is also in video format on YouTube. Honestly, every single episode that I record is inspiring and uplifting because we get to hear about these women's life journeys, both personally and professionally. This week, I talk to CTO of Rolls-Royce, Grazia Vitadini. She's also an aerospace engineer. My name is uh, Grazia, Grazia Vitadini. I am a dual uh, Italian and German national. Um, and how would I define myself? Definitely, I think as an engineer, it wasn't straightforward from the beginning. There were a couple of zigzags to take me there. What I knew is that I loved airplanes. I love music, art, ballet. And, um, this all brought me to just embracing a journey in, uh, in engineering starting from being a subcontractor up to becoming the first woman ever on certain executive boards um, without really having planned that to, to begin with. I've always been driven by having the idea of having an impact the will to have an input, to change things for the better, driven by the idea that if I do something, I do it because I'm serving a higher purpose, something which is bigger than just uh, myself. Having a taste in, for excellence, I like doing things well, and with a very strong idea of integrity. And I'm not just talking about the ethical um, component of it, but also the intellectual, being, being true to yourself, um, not uh, bending to what the rest of the world may be telling you you should be doing or expecting from you. Yes, and so this is me. So Grazia, um, just so we can really impress our audience with your CV. What's your title today as it stands? I um, have the privilege of serving Rolls-Royce as um, Chief Technology Officer. So I'm the CTO of Rolls-Royce since one year, pretty much exactly, because <laughs> I started on the 2nd of December last year. After 20 years, um, at Airbus, the last three of which also saw me serving as CTO. Now, we met at Farnborough Air Show, and we happened to just completely bump into each other. <laughs> I think we were staying at the same hotel or something like that. And um, I must say that you struck me as someone who is so unconventionally not looking like an engineer. You're gorgeous, you're glamorous, um, and you have this absolute sparkle in your eyes. And, you know, that's not what people think about when they think of a typical engineer. And so immediately, just on first impressions, I was absolutely dying to look, to speak with you and kind of know about your life and your journey into engineering. And there's so much ground to cover. And it's so funny that you didn't start your introduction with, I'm the C CTO of Rolls-Royce, which is so impressive. It was more of a personal description. So I don't know where to start. I think let's get the technical stuff out of the way. So what does being a CTO involve at Rolls-Royce? Oh, um, it involves basically... It's a quite daunting task, which requires to constantly scan the horizon for any technologies which could be 
pertinent to the products of Rolls-Royce. And we're not talking about luxury cars. We're talking about power, generation, mainly on engines for, for aircraft, right? That's the core of, uh, of the Rolls-Royce business, plus stationary power generation, plus small modular reactors and other things, but aviation is the core. Um, so technologies which could take our existing products to the next level in terms of efficiency, performance, uh, or disrupt our own um, offering, right? And so identifying these technologies and making sure that either in Rolls-Royce or through partnerships, collaborations, we mature these technologies and then implement them into, into our products or perhaps develop products in adjacent markets or services related to our products. So it's that type of uh, look ahead, um, looking at time horizons, which go from two, three, five years to, you know, when we think about, for instance, quantum technologies, 20 years plus. So are you always searching for new innovations, new ideas, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Plus, of course, making sure that whatever we have identified and are working on matures according to certain plans, milestones, that we test any new development uh, before we put it into our products because in aviation, safety comes first always and it's absolutely important that we're very rigorous in the validation of these technologies before we fly with them right so yes it's both a very forward-looking um type of, uh, of attitude and mindset you have to have and very rigorous um technical approach to maturing ideas so that again they can allow us to fly safely. Yeah. I mean, aviation um, seems like such a complex, I mean, just the very notion that we managed to lift like the equivalent of 50 African elephants into the sky um, just blows my mind. Uh, studying it blew my mind even further because it's like, wow, these mathematical equations that we're, we're learning here is what keeps those planes aloft. Yes. And um, it's, there's so much that needs to be right. I mean, the tiniest details can change a situation. Um, is your job really stressful? Like, having that kind of responsibility for people's safety? Well, it's, it's, it's definitely something, you know, you, you have to um, buy into and, and um, when you embrace a career in, in aviation because it's even a parameter, you know, which affects um, competitiveness in the sense that there's a non-written rule that you don't compete on safety. So there are different fora where um, companies interact even with market competitors on safety issues, just to make sure that when it comes to safety, we're all on the same page because this is something so, so fundamentally important. So it's very much implicit into, into the discipline so when you enter in aviation, it's an incredible responsibility, definitely. But it's also so rewarding when you see um, airplanes taking off for the very first time on their first flight after having worked on a component um, or a section. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, absolutely an incredible, incredible feeling, which is very difficult to describe and incredibly emotional. Yeah, I can imagine. I get emotional just seeing planes take off generally. So that must just be <laughs> so overwhelming. And um, there's so many technical things I want to ask you, but I only have an hour with you. So I guess I'll ask one burning technical question and then we'll get on to learning more about you. Um, 
we met uh, again after our hotel coincidence um, at the Farnborough Airshow Aerospace section of the show, which is brand new. And I think it really shows where aviation is heading. It's going higher, essentially. And um, there was a lot of discussion about SAF, sustainable aviation fuel. And, you know, this push towards sustainable aviation and climate change and all the things that aviation can do to mitigate their effects on global warming. Um, it's a massive discussion. And I'm sure we could get together for three days and still not have touched, uh, gone too deep because um, it's such a complex subject. But do we have this to look forward to in the short to medium term? Like, because I, I got the sense that clearly SAF is an important part of making aviation sustainable, but there's a lot to do before we are actually flying on sustainable fuels. So where are we? It's a very good question. It's a very good question indeed, because, you know, the pandemic has, has shown this, I believe, more than ever, how essential aviation is. You know, we were all confined and what was flying? Freighter aircraft, transporting vaccines, medical equipment across the planet. Uh, and now that, you know, we are more in an endemic phase of the virus, we see people are cannot wait to get back on a plane and reconnect with friends, families all across the world. So um, aviation is a force for good and is absolutely essential. And it is also, um, it has a fundamental responsibility of um, reducing its carbon, its carbon footprint. And decarbonizing aviation is one of the toughest um, challenges. It's, it's an industry which is very, very difficult to tackle. Um, and we're responsible for roughly 2.5% of global um, CO2 emissions. So SAF is definitely sustainable. The development of sustainable aviation fuel and the use of sustainable aviation fuels is definitely a fundamental component of that path to carbon neutrality to net zero by 2050. And we as a company at Rolls-Royce have subscribed the UN race to zero. So we have a very strong commitment in that sense. It's not the only solution because the challenge is so um, wide that we really need to keep our minds open and continue working on existing um, technologies and products continuing to make our engines more and more efficient because that will mean we will burn less kerosene or synthetic fuel and every single drop counts. So the continuous efficiency of our products is a fundamental ingredient. Sustainable aviation fuel is another one where currently all what we can fly with because there's nothing else available on the market are biofuels. Now biofuels, um, which can be made out of different feedstock um, are, are, are tricky because you need to take care, you know, that by using biofuels, you're not um, competing with um, arable land. Uh, you're not using whatever your feedstock is if you're growing stuff that you're not using drinkable water to have that type of feedstock, right? Because then it's not sustainable as a whole either. And currently um, there's enough biofuel to uh, support just, um, I think 0.1% to satisfy 0.1% of the total aviation um, demand. So that's really very symbolic. Now, all engines and all airframes are already certified today to fly with at least 50% sustainable fuels, a blend of at least for 50%. 
So we're well underway to demonstrate that um, we can fly with up to 100% um, sustainable aviation fuel. And by doing so, if instead of using biofuels, we would go to synthetic fuels, we could reduce our global emissions by even up to 80%. Why this? Because sustainable aviation fuel in a synthetic form rather than in a biofuel form requires for it to be really sustainable, CO2 to be extracted from the atmosphere, combined with green hydrogen, and then synthesized. So, and then you have a virtuous circle, right? You emit CO2, which then you recover. And that's why at Rolls-Royce, we are engaged on, um, indeed, um, developing a direct air carbon capture solution in partnership with different um, research institutes to enable that virtuous um, circle to kick in. And um, there's other ways, of course, other uh, routes we're exploring to get to net zero uh, beyond improving the efficiency of our products and demonstrating that we can fly with 100% uh, sustainable aviation fuel. We're exploring more disruptive technology solutions such as electrification of flight or the use of hydrogen, for instance, which could really virtually take us to um, even emitting zero CO2 emission. So these are the different, the different routes we need to continue exploring to get yeah, to like zero. There's so many different routes and there's so many, what struck me about um, the talks and seminars and panel discussions that you were part of was that there's so much that needs to advance. It's not just, okay, we switch fuel and let's find a new fuel. Um, it's like the infrastructure to get that fuel to airports. And, you know, there's just so much that goes on behind the scenes that I think many of us don't really appreciate um as existing you know we just don't have a knowledge of it um and i think there is so much to discuss and i'm going to advise anyone that really wants to learn more to definitely check out rolls royce website um because there's lots of information out there on the technicalities of all the things that you're doing at rolls royce and it is really fascinating and it is really cutting edge um but I really want to get into the nitty gritty of your personal journey into engineering, because as a woman in engineering, first of all, you're very rare, um, but you really don't come across as that stereotypical, even woman in engineering. And it's so inspiring to see you in such a senior position with such um, a glow about you. And I kind of, let's go from the beginning. Like, when did you realize that um, a career in engineering or even aviation, if you had that kind of specific knowledge of what you want to do, when did it start? <clears throat> well, you know, from a very um, early age, I was totally fascinating by, fascinated by all things that fly. I was really drawn to, to aviation. The, the, the legend says um, that, you know, my very first words after in Italian, mama, which is mother, uh, papa, which can be both food and daddy. My third word allegedly was aeroplano, which is airplane <laughs> in Italian. Because from my pram, I'd be following these wonderful machines in the sky. So there's, there's probably something, there's some, some element of, of curiosity, which then brought me as a child to spend a lot of time building um, models, airplane models out of balsa wood or out of, you know, the standard uh, boxes. So, yes, in... But the fact is that in parallel, I was exposed to um, 
in my I had I had a an education, a basic education, going to gymnasium in Italy, um, more let's say in the liberal arts, right? So uh, music, um, philosophy, Latin, ancient Greek, um, arts. And um, I grew up, um, my dad is an engineer, my mom is a mathematician, uh, but, you know, I grew up in a, in a, in a household full of music, of, of uh, love for the arts. I have 30 years of ballet <laughs> in, in, <laughs> under my belt. Um, I studied music. Um, I, I have a, um, um, a percussion, classical percussionist background. And so that's the zigzag I was referring to before, right? And at the same time, I loved airplanes. I loved motorcycles. Um, I had a motorcycle. I kept on, you know, um, dismantling and rebuilding and optimizing and fine-tuning and, and so on and so forth. And actually, I wanted to be a, um, a jet fighter pilot. Um, at that time, the Italian Air Force didn't allow women to fly, right? I applied nonetheless. Um, of course, I was rejected. And that made me so angry. I found that so unfair. And basically, I said to myself, you know what? If I can fly them well, then I'm going to build them. And that's what brought me to aeronautical engineer, engineering. Um, at the Politecnico in Milano, and then to specializing in, in aerodynamics, which is my specialty, even if I've always then worked more in, in, the, structural, in the structural field. And, and that's also what brought me to, to leave my country at some point, um, 30 years ago, <laughs> because... It was very important for me to continue working as an engineer in that industry. And so I followed the professional opportunities which, uh, which presented itself um, to me. And after two years in Italy, working on the Eurofighter project, I, I left for, for Germany. And uh, then between Germany, um, France with teams in Spain, in the UK, in the United States, as well as in China, in India. I've been around a lot and I never really came back to, to the nest, always pursuing that passion and, um, and the love for, for what I do. How did you deal with the language barriers? That's an interesting, that's an interesting one, Shini, because indeed, when I left Italy, I was supposed to go to Paris and work as a subcontractor for a company which was building their next business jet. Um, now, a week before leaving Italy, the subcontracting company called me saying that at the end, unfortunately, they did not get the contract in Paris. And so... How about Monaco? Now, Monaco in Italian can be two very different places. One on the sea in France, in the south of France, and the other is Munich in Bavaria. <laughs> so I said, wait a minute, what do I need to pack? My, my swimming suit or my suit? <laughs> and it was the latter. And I was... I was really scared because I couldn't speak a word of German. I had, you know, some preconceived ideas about how Germans are and what they eat. And, and so I now became, I took a second passport and second citizenship mm -hmm. about a couple of years ago. Um, but at that time, you know, I knew nothing of Germany. And so I just basically told myself, Grazia, you hang on in there. You resist at least three months. You need to stay there minimum three months. And then if you don't like it, if it doesn't work, you can always go back. 
And voila, now uh, fast forward 30 years, I still haven't gone back to, to where I started, right? And I mean, um, learning German was difficult, but um, six months. French as well? Mais oui. <laughs> but it's easier. French is easier. French and Spanish are easier because, you know, when you have Italian, it doesn't take much to, to okay, become so fluent. Italian, French, Spanish, German, English, five languages, an expert in aerodynamics. There's probably a million other things, but that alone is highly impressive and amazing. Um, it's really interesting that you went to Germany because I see it as a country that is very um, engineering led. And I'm assuming that women in engineering in Germany are actually accepted more than maybe anywhere else in Europe? Um, it depends very much on, I guess, well, I can speak for, um, of course, aerospace engineering. It depends also from, from the region. Um, unfortunately, from the societal perspective, especially in the south of Germany, I have the impression that there's an expectation on women that they must choose whether um, having, you know, they have a career or, um, or they become mothers. And so I certainly see many um, colleagues, awesome, awesome engineers, um, having uh, having problems with 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 that being confronted with that type of expectation which is absolutely you know nonsense you need to find whatever works for you and i've had experiences in my journey where you know i put part-time mothers in leadership positions and and that created an uproar, you know, people saying, colleagues saying, oh my gosh, but she's not in the office on Wednesdays. I said, yeah, well, don't put meetings on Wednesdays because decisions will not be taken because she's not in. <laughs> so, um, and I always found it so uh, amazing. Um, you know, there's not many of us. We are a minority still. The industry is male dominated. Um, we sail around a 20% presence, which becomes smaller the higher you go in the hierarchy of companies. Um, and it is so refreshing when you have the privilege of working with other women engineers because I don't know, there are some common denominators. There's, and I don't want to go into cliches, but uh, more pragmatism, less need of demonstrating how clever and brilliant you are, no territory marking. So I really get things done better in a more efficient, smarter way when I have the the privilege of of doing so with um, with women did you ever choose motherhood um i did i did not because it never i don't know the, the conditions um, weren't there in the sense of you know i come from a, a very tra a traditional uh, family um, um, and I never had that maternal instinct which would have brought me to wanting to seek motherhood even on my own or independently from from having a partner and I never, I never got to that. When I found my better half, um, you know, it's not long ago, five years ago, and um, he has um, two wonderful children. Um, so 
yes. It it never it never got to me, and it, it never the circumstances you know were were not uh, were not there. But you know, whenever whenever thinking about the topic and you know what to do in order to also create in corporate systems the conditions for 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 women to to thrive and grow rather than thinking about children i i think about mothers because you know i have a mother <laughs> uh, and and focusing on mothers perhaps makes um the topic addressable also for a larger percentage of the men of the of, of, of the men population since everybody has a mother right or at least 99.9% of human beings <laughs> have a mother and rightly or or not and it's definitely not right and not fair but in certain cultures or minds children are still considered a woman topic right so if you shift to mothers and talk about mothers let's make conditions um good viable for mothers i think you address you tackle a wider slice of uh, of the population and um embark them on on the journey yeah to making this this world a fairer place I mean, Grazia, I've got goosebumps listening to you because, um, well, I had goosebumps when you said that you did ballet um, because that's also been my story. I'm like, oh my gosh, ah. I don't relate. Um, but now the goosebumps are even more prominent because I also um, share your experience with the motherhood dilemma. Um, I come from a very traditional Southeast Asian family. But, you know, my parents have been together, um, what would it be now, 47 years, 48 years. And that's what I grew up with. You know, I, I just grew up with that kind of template. Um, and then on the other side, I also had this really massive ambition to pursue um, my engineering curiosities and you know education um career ambition like all of that was so important and I was like when am I meant to fit in motherhood and do I even have a maternal instinct and I love engineering and that's very masculine and so there's a lot of things to not unravel but just kind of detangle um and you know it's just so beautiful to hear a woman who is so senior in engineering supporting mothers when you are not a mother, because it's exactly why we need diverse engineering teams, because you bring a perspective that cares about, you know, 50% of the population that often gets overlooked, even if you don't have the same experience of being a mother yourself. And, you know, this is why change happens because you get that rare perspective and you let part-time mothers and brilliant engineers, you know, thrive and those decisions aren't made on a Wednesday when they're not there, but they will be made and you're giving them the trust and the agency to still, because all the mothers I've met who were engineers, are engineers, and even just also women in STEM, they loved their career before they became mothers. And then when they're mothers, suddenly their purpose for life changes and deepens and then they want to go back to the workforce even more determined um, with this renewed sense of purpose. And, you know, they bring so much more to the table, even if their time is limited. And you're celebrating that. You're acknowledging that and you're giving women that chance. I, we never talk about returners. 
You know, we never talk about people who have had to take a break for COVID or motherhood or whatever the, the, the reason is. And, and all of the things that come with that, which is like a major drop in self-confidence. And, you know, so you championing these women is just so, so wonderful. Um, and I thank you for doing that because I actually haven't had a conversation with a woman who said um, that the circumstances weren't right, you know, and it's left me, I mean, you're a massive role model to me because I, it's always left me thinking, did I majorly screw up in life that I haven't added motherhood onto the whole list of things that I've done? Um, and I see you and I see you thriving and helping other, because there are women out there that were born to be mothers. And there are women like us who are making massive change and not mothers. And we're still as important to society. And I see that in you. And I hope that one day I can give myself that kind of acknowledgement. But I really see it in you because, I mean, the world needs you. So The world needs us. I think we are really, it's our duty to build the conditions, the bridges that will enable um, other forms of womanship, um, you know, to, to, to have a voice around the table and to belong. So it's, it's definitely um, a mission I have and it's, it's great because nobody's giving it to me. So it's really a self-given purpose yeah. and, and, and mission which is absolutely one of my top priorities. And how have you dealt with being such a, you know, alpha female, you know, I'm sure when you walk into a room, like heads turn just because of the way you look before you've even said anything and show your expertise. Like how have you dealt with, because I've actually, I'm starting to realize that, you know, as as women, ambitious women, we kind of want to be the best on all levels. And actually, in a very male-dominated world, being the best can sometimes hold you back because you're intimidating. And you can make, you can bring out insecurities in people because of your... Um, your qualities like how have you dealt with that oh gosh this this is so there's so much to this Shini. um we could go on i think for for hours on the topic well listen um first principle always and i had to learn this is not to take things personally when you see reactions around you and you are a minority don't take it personally because most of the times it's not done or meant with ill intent it's just that you are rare there's not many of you like you are and this triggers reactions now what i've observed especially in earlier phases of my journey is that colleagues would tend to put me either in the daughter category Oh, let me tell you how this works, darling. Or in, you know, the flirty type of mother, uh, wife um, or partner type of, of category or mommy. I'm not happy. I need this. I need that. The world is so unfair. <laughs> Always complaining for no reason. Um, why? Because these colleagues probably never had peers like me, yeah. right? And therefore develop coping mechanisms 
and try to package me in, in, in different categories. So a lot of what happens around you needs to be, again, put in a certain perspective and without letting it affect you as a person too, too much. Another thing which I had to deal with, and it could have derailed me, I think, is feedback. Um, in, um, in an industry where the incumbent template is male, pale, yale, um, you know, anything which is different is treated as something we should be fitting in that template, right? Rather than acknowledging you for, you know, whatever it is that you bring to the table, there will always be the attempt to squeeze you in, in that cookie cutter scheme, right? And so you receive feedback accordingly. I have been told um, as a junior engineer, you know, that um, I didn't really look like a boss. So if I wanted to progress on my leadership journey, I would have had to smile less, to use less my hands when I speak, and um, learn to put on a poker face because I use every single muscle of my face when I speak, and you know people understand what I think. Um, so had I followed this, this, this type of advice, which corresponds to a very stereotype image of, you know, uh, a suit and tie type of, of boss, I would have probably um, undermined what I believe are my strengths. Yeah. So, yes, there's a lot going on, which but could you derail it. you. You need to learn to cope and ignore of course always knowing where the line is because if certain comments become you know go over what you believe the line is then you just need to make it clear this is too much you know like someone introducing you to the team as our new gorgeous chief engineer um yeah okay thank you and you know i'm here for something else, <laughs> uh, you know, comments on the fact that you get things done very quickly, very efficiently, just because you have long black hair. No, that goes beyond the line. So please, can we agree? It was a joke, okay? Um, can we please agree that, you know, I will not hear these type of comments again on the, in a meeting, you know? So, um, you need to know where the line is, but a lot of it is is learning, yes, how to how to cope with with it, flying higher than than much of what you will see and hear and yeah, what you will be exposed to. But that's why we have that accountability, Shinny, because either our shoulders are broad enough or our skin is thick enough to really pave that way for many, many more to follow, which have different attitudes, features, behaviors. I mean, when I listen to you, I'm thinking of my own situation. Sorry, that sounds really selfish. But you're talking about your experiences and I'm thinking, yes, I've had that situation too. Um, and the thing is, all the women that will listen to this conversation will have their own individual situations. And it just boils down to one thing. Seeing you speak gives me permission to own my own story. And I think my audience seeing you speak will give them permission to own their own story. Because, you know, I'm here we are today, 2022. And I often think about how in my 20s, 
I kept apologizing for looking the way I did and having the kinds of qualifications and expertise that I had and feeling bad that I had that combination and downplaying one or the other just so that I didn't shine too brightly or whatever it is. And I see you shining there. And I'm like, I will never do that again because I see you just glowing with your expertise, your intelligence, your external packaging. And I'm like, she's celebrating who she is and not apologizing for all of her gifts and qualities. I'm not going to do that anymore. And this is why sort of women supporting women is just so crucial because it's not even that, you know, I need to get advice from you. I mean, I would love to talk to you for hours, but we don't have that kind of time available. But it's just seeing you exist that is enough to just go, you know what, it's so beautiful seeing someone thrive. Um, I've got to allow myself to do the same and stop downplaying aspects of us because as women we just bring so much you know I, I hear what you're saying about you know at some point you said I don't know how you phrased it but I was thinking yeah ego we deal a lot yes when you were talking about people having to prove they're smart you know in STEM worlds which is kind of the only world I know there is a lot of ego proving you know and I love this idea of not taking things personally because well, it's just so hard. It's so hard to not take things personally. And hearing you say, just don't, just don't do it. You know, instead of me saying, but it's hard, it's like, but it's possible because I see you doing it. And I'm not saying it's a walk in the park, you know. Uh, I mean, of no. course, I, I get angry. Uh, I cry. I get frustrated, um, you know. Um, and then you, you elaborate things. And, and you move on. That's the important thing. Continue moving on relentlessly. And shine the light on others to lift others. That's why it's so important also to go out there and talk to girls, to young women, to show them, you know, uh, you can be a scientist and wear high heels. Yes, you can. You can do ballet and be an engineer. It's, it fits. Just bring your own self to the game because that's what you will need to thrive no matter which, which path you, you, you choose. And don't let anything, anyone tell you what you should not be doing or how you should be looking. Yeah. So. I think that's what it is. A lot of girls, women, they um, doubt themselves a lot. There's a lot of... You know, this, the most basic example is if you're in a maths class and the teacher's asked you a question and you know the answer, but you don't want to get it wrong. So you don't put your hand up. But we should be putting our hands up and saying, you know, very stoically, this is me. This is what I represent. And I'm not going to to apologize for that. You know, you know, I see you doing that. And I thank you. Because I think maybe, well, I hope you're aware of what you, what you represent for all women who have been given gifts in life and, you know, bringing out the best in ourselves, you know, and, 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 and letting ourselves shine, I think, is really the key message that I have got from speaking with you today. Um, I really don't want to... I don't want to leave our conversation, but our time is running out. Is there anything, you know, you must have mentored women um, and are still mentoring and given so much advice to everyone in your industry. Um, is there anything really um, significant that people need to know from your experiences um, in order to empower them? You know, I, as I mentioned earlier on, I, I got a lot of advice uh, along my journey, which I really couldn't do much with. 
so I'm always very careful when giving recommendations. But hey, I think, you know, what's really fundamental is that whatever you do, you put your heart in it. Follow, follow your heart. Of course, your brain, your brain, your guts, your courage. But don't be afraid of following also what your, what your heart is, is pointing you to. And there is so much place for heart in STEM. <laughs> we, are, we are really, um, if, if you want to have an impact, if you want to change the world in a better place, there's no better field to, to be in. There's no more rewarding um, path for you. So study, be accomplished technically, be passionate about what you do, and, and don't forget that it's all about interaction with human beings. So yes, let's not forget that uh, to be to cable ourselves for human interactions, which are a fundamental part of of getting awesome science, technology, and engineering done. Grazia, I really feel the um, the passion and actually the warmth and the love you have for the industry, for innovation, for advancement of technology but also for um, the evolution of people and their skills and their expertise. Uh, you embody all of that and you're a shining example. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. And I hope uh, we stay connected because you truly are a guiding light for me. So thank you. Thank you for having me, um, Shini. And we absolutely will keep in touch. We need to do this again. Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, then the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series, Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery, self-evolution and inclusivity on innovation. So let's just all strive to be the best versions of ourselves and celebrate others being themselves too. As always, be kind and loving, and I wish you all a great week.